Bibles uh, to John chapter 12, verse 19. I'm going to read that, and then we're going to be mostly in Luke 19 afterwards. Um, you want to follow along, or just take my word for it, that what I'm saying is in there. It's up to you. <laughs> John 12 and 19 says, And the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the whole world is gone after him. As you can see from my title, it's Palm Sunday. I'm just going to call this one, The World is Gone. Let's pray once more together. Jesus, again, we thank you for your presence. God, you're anointing your word. I pray, God, that you would minister to us today. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word and challenge us. God, make us more like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can remain seated, I suppose. That's all you want to do it. Um, whatever. I'm going to take a while to get to a main point. We're going to go through the story of um, Palm Sunday, I guess. Today is, that's what it's called. It's a big old day. Uh, for some, the Sunday before Easter celebrates the story of what we call the triumphal entry, uh, which is the, we like to give names to stories in the Bible. And that um, it's recorded in all four Gospels. We're going to mostly follow along with Luke's. We're going to jump around a bit for some points. But um, it's when Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem, riding on a, a donkey or like a king, but a little bit different than most kings would. Um, so we're going to kind of go through the story, hit some points on the way before we get to the main point. So be patient, hold your horses or donkeys, whatever you got. Um, but I feel it's important to take the whole story so we know everything that's going on. It's one of those stories that we're familiar with uh, for the most part. Uh, we're going to start Luke 19, 29. This is just after he visits um, Zacchaeus in his house and talks about um, setting up a kingdom and this sort of thing. Um, and he says in Luke 19.29, it says, It came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. So Jesus and his disciples, they come to um, this place called Bethphage and Bethany. And Bethany is where um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus they they live, and um, they they stop here at Bethany, and I cannot get this thing to work. Okay, stop here at Bethany. Um, it's at the base of the Mount of Olives, southwest side, three kilometers from Jerusalem. That sort of thing. If you're interested, he calls two disciples. Which two? No one knows. But he says unto them, Go ye into the village over against you, to the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him. Hither, And if any man ask you, why do you lose him? Thus you shall say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. So he gives a couple of his disciples instructions. He says, go into the village, you're going to find a colt. And we know from the other versions that it's a donkey's colt. And he says, you're going to find a colt of a donkey that's never been ridden, it's never been broken. Um, untie him and bring him here. And if anyone asks why you're doing this, just say it, because the Lord needs it. Just steal a donkey and say the Lord needs it. That's a good, good time. 
But there's a prophecy in Zechariah 9 and 9, and it says, um, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So there was this prophecy that a king was going to come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey or on a colt of a donkey. And all of this has been prophesied beforehand. And everything starts coming to pass at this time. And because the word of God always comes to pass. Remember that. Luke's main audience um, is the Gentiles. And so he kind of leaves out the reference to Zechariah, but the others refer to it as they wouldn't really know what was going on and they wouldn't know that. And so it would probably distract him and confuse him from the big picture. The other accounts refer to it. But this donkey, it's never been ridden before. It hasn't been, well, we would say, broken yet. Um, donkeys, they're known for their cherub-like demeanor, right? How easy they are to get along with and how um, their willingness to go along, how flexible and open-minded. That's what you say when someone's, you know, being really flexible and um, easygoing. You refer to them like, like a donkey, right? No. Just seeing if you're paying attention. Donkeys are known for what? Being stubborn. Ever call someone a donkey? Hopefully you haven't. Did a little research of riding donkeys and breaking donkeys. It says a donkeys will not take well to force or fear training and will remember it at a later date. Maybe they'll exact revenge. Who knows? But uh, many a good donkey, it says, has been ruined by training, not conducive for a donkey, but more for a horse or a dog. So you can train a dog by with fear. People used to train dogs with newspapers, right? You don't want to. Not anymore, we don't, most folks. But that's what people would do. I'm not saying beat your dogs. I'm just saying that's how people have trained dogs in the past. But you can't do that with a donkey. Um, you train it differently. You want to make friends with a donkey. This is how you train a donkey. You got to befriend it. I don't know. Invite it over for dinner. Make it a sandwich. Ask it about its childhood. I don't know. You make a friend. <laughs> you make friends with donkeys. You gain their trust and respect before you start training them to ride or carry a rider. Your donkey should be trained to walk well on a lead. It should be a friendly, tame donkey, ideally. Anyway, training should begin in a calm and individual manner. If you're in a hurry, forget it. Buy one already trained, it says. Training an animal to ride or drive takes time. This is not something that happens overnight. This is a time-consuming enterprise. Some people think that they can take an unbroken donkey to the lake and get on it and ride it. Good luck, it says. So training a donkey, just riding it, that's never been ridden, that in itself is a miraculous thing. So this to be happening, for Jesus to ride this donkey that's never been ridden, it is pretty remarkable that Jesus is going to ride this colt that's never had anybody ride it, it's never been broken, the owner, that the owner would even allow this to happen. You know, the owner is probably familiar with donkeys, knows their temperament. Anyways, this part's pretty incredible that this even happens. But Jesus, as we see through all throughout the, the Gospels, throughout the Bible, he has the habit of taking things that are a bit unusual and using them. Thank God. Or I wouldn't be here. He takes things that 
Maybe we wouldn't use. Maybe we wouldn't, wow, we don't want that. That's not going to work. And he takes these things and he uses them. Most kings, they would come parading into town on a big, beautiful horse. Not Jesus. He's using a humble donkey that's unproven, unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen with this donkey. It hasn't been trained. It hasn't been ridden before. Most of us would pick you know, certain people to be used by God. The outgoing one, the son of a, a preacher, the the, maybe the super religious one or the loud, whatever. But God uses shepherds and tax collectors and fishermen. And yes, even Pharisees. He uses all kinds of people. He never does things the way that we think he should or the way that we would do them. He does them in his own way. And that's why we can't judge or allow ourselves to be frustrated when it's not going the way that we think it should. Because if you've been living for God any amount of time, you should know by now that it never does. It never goes the way that we think we should or it should. He's going to do it his way, which is always the best way. We need to get out of the way and let him have his way. And that's all I got to say about that. Verse 32 says, they, were sent, they that were sent went their way and found even as he said unto them. So again, this whole thing comes to pass. Jesus said something was going to happen. It did. As if there would be any doubt. Everything he said, they found the cold, no problem. They found it where it was supposed to be. They found them. And this all really comes down to obedience. There's an order for them to find things the way that Jesus said they would be. They needed to do exactly as Jesus said. Right? Make sense? If they didn't go where he told them to go, they didn't look where he told them to look. Did you ever have someone tell you to find something? Your wife, perhaps. Can you get this thing? It's in such and such a place. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. <laughs> but if you don't go look in such and such a place, you're probably not going to find it. Right? Jesus tells them to go to a certain place to look for a certain thing. It all comes down to obedience. If they didn't go where he told them to go, if they didn't look where he told them to look, if they just said, yeah, that sounds pretty foolish, getting a donkey, doesn't he know you have to break a donkey? Doesn't he know you can't just ride a donkey that's never ridden? Let's go find a horse. Let's go down this road. Let's go find something else. Let's go get a donkey that's been run on. He's not going to know. Let's go get a donkey that's been trained. I don't, we, don't want this, we don't want this embarrassment. We don't want this big scene. Jesus getting tossed off a donkey. That's gonna, we don't want that. Let's go do this instead. Oh, there's a camel. That is so much better. Camels, they got, they got built-in seat rests. Back rests. That's what we should get. We should get a camel. <laughs> and if they had done that, they wouldn't have found what it was that Jesus sent them to look for. They would have found what they were looking for. And sometimes we can have that same sort of attitude and that tendency to maybe think we know better than Jesus. Jesus will say something to us, maybe in prayer, maybe in the, the word as we're reading, and say, I don't, yeah, I think we're going to do this instead. Not, none of you folks have ever done that. I know. Well, you know, that's not, we're going we're gonna to do that. Maybe I'll try this instead. You know, it's almost like what he said. It's almost like what he's asking me to do. But I'm going to do this instead. And maybe he won't notice. And maybe we'll just get a, a you know, a little workout anyway. It's not exactly what I'm supposed to do. But it sounds good. And this seems better to me. It makes more sense. 
Um, to me, when we do that, we go our way. We think we know better. We miss so much of what God wants to do in our life. Jonah, you know, go to Nineveh and preach. You know what? I think I'm going to go to Tarshish instead because I don't like Ninevites. Oh, look, Jonah, you're in a whale. Don't, God told him, don't gather more manna than you need for the day or it's going to go bad. And someone did it anyway. And guess what? It went bad. Don't take anything from the enemy. Just leave it all. Akins, I'm going to take some stuff. This stuff looks pretty good. I'm going to hide it under my tent. Oh, look, now you're dead. Don't, don't look back when you leave Sodom and Gomorrah. But I, I just got to, it's not going to do anything. Oh, now you're a pillar of salt. Disciples, you're all going to abandon me. Not me. Yes, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Sell all you have, give to the poor, and follow me. I can't do that. goes away sorrowfully. So many times, even in the Bible, God tells someone to do something. Like, I'm going to do it differently, and it always works out wrong. If we want to see what God's going to do, we got to do what God says. If we want to find the donkey, we <laughs> We gotta go where he tells us to look. <laughs> if we just listen and follow him and obey and trust the Lord with all the hearts, lean not into our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him, he's gonna direct our paths and he's gonna lead us where it is that we need to go. So these two, they do exactly what Jesus says and what he says happens because they obey. Because they obey, as simple as that sounds, they see the word come to pass. We can't ignore the word and we can't ignore what Jesus says and expect the word to come to pass. That's just the free bit. That's not the real message. Verse 30 to 34 says, And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? Why are you taking my donkey? Who do you think you are? And they said, Oh, the Lord have need of them. So these guys that just go up to a colt, they un they start untying it, and this to me, I've talked about it before, but this is just hilarious to me that these guys are just going and taking someone's donkey. Didn't even ask. Just loosen it, taking it, and the owners come out, as you would. Hey, what do you think you're doing? What's going on, bud? Why are you untying the colt? Oh, Jesus needs him. Cool. A donkey was used for transport, for carrying things. These two Disciples, they didn't, um, these, these, these two disciples, these guys didn't know, they, they come in the yard and they start loosing their, their donkey and says, well, the Lord needs him. And they let him, they let them take the donkey. I mean, obviously Jesus isn't going to send them to the wrong house. He's not going to send them to some cantankerous old fool. They're going to have to fight to get the donkey that's going to threaten them or whatever. He's going to send them to the right people. But still, these guys that own the donkey, they had to let the disciples take the donkey. They had to allow it to happen. They had to, they had to make that decision themselves as well. They had to submit to the plan of Jesus. And no doubt, whoever owned the donkey, we don't know their name, but no doubt they'd heard about Jesus. I don't even know if they got the donkey back. I don't know what happened to the donkey. No doubt they heard about Jesus. And no doubt they knew some of the things that had been done because they were living in the same town, the same area that Lazarus was from. You remember Lazarus? It's a pretty big deal, pretty big story. Um, Mary and Martha. Jesus had been here many times. Everybody knew what happened to Lazarus. 
Every time they saw Lazarus in town or they saw his sisters at the market or they saw him at the synagogue, they'd be reminded of Jesus. The testimony of Lazarus was huge. Dead for four days. Surely by now he stinketh. Raised from the dead. Came out of that, <laughs> out of that grave. And in fact, part of the reason the crowd was so big that day or the triumphal entry was because of Lazarus and his testimony. John's version says in the People, therefore, that was with him when they called Lazarus, when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. And for this cause, the people also met him, for they heard that he had done this miracle. This is why a lot of people came out, because Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. This is a huge story. It's a huge testimony. And these owners of the donkey, they probably knew about the prophecies. Most people were looking for the Messiah. There was rumors that Jesus might be this guy. And and I'd imagine that when Jesus started doing all the things he was doing, the interest in the prophecies probably peaked a little bit. You know how it is. Things start happening. Everyone wants to know about the book of Revelation. Jesus starts performing miracles. Everyone wants to know about the prophecies about the Messiah. And so they let the disciples take their donkey. And this morning, I'm 17 minutes in. I'm going to get to the main point. Thanks for staying with me. And this morning, we're going to talk about praise and worship. We had to set the scene first. This Palm Sunday, and that's what, really what it's all about. But we often see, uh, we talk about praise and worship often as if they're the same thing. We use the words interchangeably, but they're not. Praise is pointing out what someone has done, giving them attention or admiration or approval those are just the letter A's for what they've done um, we can praise anyone and it's not a sin we can praise our kids when they do something good learning how to walk what do you oh good job finally finally you're walking good job everyone's clapping you know Felix is getting cheered all the time every day something he does you know, kids do something, we, we clap and we cheer them on. You praise an employee for a, a job well done. You know, good job, whatever. Um, but worship is different. Worship is a reverent honor and homage given to God for who he is. God is holy. God is worthy. He is God and he is God alone. Giving him what he is worthy of, submitting ourselves to him. Praise is for what he's done. Worship is for who he is. Praise begins when we start pointing out the good things about Jesus. All he's done in my life and how he's saved me and how he's holy and how he's a miracle working God. Talking about his faithfulness. Talking about his goodness. Talking about his grace and his mercy. And worship begins when we submit to the word of God. And when we step aside and let him have his way and we humble ourselves. When we talk about Palm Sunday, we talk about the palm branches. We talk about the rocks crying out and talk about Hosanna and all these things. And they're all important. They're all part of what we call worship. But this whole story starts when someone submits and surrenders to God and to his word. I had plans for this colt. I had plans for this donkey. But Jesus needs him. So I'm going to give him away. 
I had plans for my life, but Jesus wants my life, so I'm going to surrender to him. And as we step back and we raise our hands and we let go of our control on our lives or whatever it is that we have, it's not about me anymore. It's, it's about what the Lord has in need of. It's about what the Lord wants from me. It's, not a, it's about what the Lord deserves. It's about Jesus. It's not about my plans. It's not about my stuff anymore. It's not mine. I surrender. I give it to him. And that's where worship begins. And it starts when we take our hands off of our stuff and our lives and take our hands, give up our control. And we submit to Jesus and whatever it is that he wants. And we lay ourselves down as a living sacrifice. We lay our lives down and our time no longer matters. Our stuff no longer matters. And this all starts with the two disciples and the owner of the cult. They are the first ones in the story who act in worship. And they take it back to Jesus and the other disciples. In verse 35 it says, They brought him to Jesus, the donkey, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And they bring the donkey to Jesus. And then what? They, the disciples, they cast their garments on the colt, and Jesus sits on it. Other versions say they threw their cloaks. A coat or a cloak is how you choose or how you chose and still choose how you want the world to see you. When you get dressed in the morning, you put on whatever you put on, you're choosing how the world is going to look at you. There's a certain way we dress for certain occasions and things. We'll dress differently if we're going to a wedding or a funeral or we're going to different jobs. You graduate, you wear something different than you would normally. Um, the way we dress reflects how we want the world to see us. We want... You know, we're going to a, a graduation. People put on a nice dress. You go to a wedding, the bride and the groom dress a certain way because all the attention's on them, mostly on her, unless the guy's doing something dumb. You want that, you do that for that reason, right? You want someone, everyone, when you go to a wedding, you know who the bride is because of what she's wearing. You're, what you put on is how the world is going to see you that day. You want to wear your pajamas to Walmart? Go ahead. Lots of people do, but you look at someone in a different way because of what they're doing, how they're, how they're dressed. You want to go to a job interview in sweatpants? You go ahead, but good luck with getting the job. You know? You don't show up also to the work site in a tuxedo. People are going to look at you funny. <laughs> you don't do your gardening in a ball gown. There's certain things that you wear because you're doing certain things and that reflects that. You know what I'm saying? We wear certain clothes to identify with certain jobs, tasks, goals, or groups of people. And a, a coat or a cloak or a garment, just as it is today, in those days, was your identity. Different occupations, different groups, were different things. Beggars had a garment they would wear that people would know that this guy is a beggar. Um, kings wore certain things. Priests wore certain things. Fishermen wore certain things. Uh, you could tell who a person was generally by whatever it was that they were wearing. If they're a working man, they wore certain things. If you did certain jobs, you would... Whatever. You get what I'm saying? Your identity was wrapped up in whatever it was that you were wearing. And there's a significance there. So throughout the Bible, Joseph with his, um, his, his coat, 
and so special. His brothers almost killed him over it. David took his off and embarrassed his wife while he was dancing before the Lord. Bartimaeus in um, the Gospel of Mark throws off his beggar's garment when he goes to see Jesus. The prodigal son comes home and the father, what does he do? He gives him a, a new coat. It's identity. And praise starts when our attention is drawn to Jesus and we start to speak about his goodness. So worship starts when we realize that this is about him and not about me. And it continues when we start to lay down some things. When we lay down our garments, when we lay down our cloaks or our identity. When I'm worshiping Jesus, I am not the pastor. I'm a worshiper. I'm not a follower. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a worshiper. We lay down our identity, who we think we are, who others see us as. We need to be willing to lay that down for Jesus. That's where worship is. Do you know what I'm saying? Without that outer garment, everyone looks the same. Without it, you can't tell who's a priest, who's a Pharisee, who's a king, who's a fisherman, who's a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, who's a blind beggar. You can't tell when they take that outer garment off and they lay that cloak down. And we are going to, if we are truly going to worship Jesus, we need to realize that none of that stuff matters. None of the things we choose to identify with matters in the presence of Jesus. Our occupations don't matter. Our sweet style doesn't matter. What we're, it doesn't matter. The principle is found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Talking about the church. If I could get it to work. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Who you are and who you identify with does not matter in the presence of Jesus. You cannot worship Jesus fully and still cling to all of these things. If you want to be free in worship, you're going to have to lay down that cloak. And right now, our world is obsessed with identity. Gender, race, politics, sexuality, pronouns, it is insane. But when you are worshiping Jesus, you are just a worshiper. It's not about me. It's not about what I identify as. I'm a conservative, or I'm a this, or I'm a that. It's about him. You're not white, or black, or Jew, or Greek, or Gentile, Canadian, Filipino, French, English, indigenous, male, female, liberal, conservative, some other third thing. You are a praiser. You are a worshiper. That is what it is about. You cannot worship our identity. We cannot worship our identity and Jesus at the same time. One of them needs to go. In order to worship, we need to lay some things aside. But if we're going to truly worship Jesus, none of that matters. We need to be able to lay that stuff down. We need to be able to realize this isn't about me. This is about the king. This isn't about who's looking at me. This isn't about how people see me. I really don't care how people look at me. Like David said, you thought that was bad. It's going to get worse. You're embarrassed now. You wait till tomorrow. You wait till the next time I worship. It's going to be even crazier. I don't care what you think. I don't care what anyone thinks. This isn't about me. It's about him. This isn't about who's looking at me. This is about the king and what he deserves. It's not about what I look like or what I sound like or who's looking at me. It's about what the king deserves. And we will never be able to truly worship the way we're supposed to until we're willing to lay ourselves down and our pride and our appearance and our reputation, our identity. And look what happens in verse 36. And as they went, they spread their clothes 
in the way. Some disciples, they spread their coats for Jesus. And they laid them down to worship the king. And as they went, more people began to do it. More people began to lay down their clothes. More people began to lay down their coats. Worship is contagious. Praise begins to spread. And it all starts with the owners of the donkey letting the disciples take him. Letting Jesus have his way. Obeying the word of God. And it continues when some disciples lay down their garments. And it spreads as others start laying down their garments to Matthew 21 and 8, it says, A very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. They didn't have any outer coats, so they just cut down palm branches, and they started laying them in the way, and the crowd gathers, and they all start doing it together. They all start doing it too, and some didn't have garments, so they put the branches, and it's generally believed they waved them, and it doesn't say that in the Bible and where they came from, but it's not in there, but that they start laying down whatever they can. And it spreads. Because I don't know if you notice this, but worship is contagious. <laughs> Praise is contagious. All it takes is one person to step out. All it takes is one person to lay themselves down before the king. And one person to submit to his will. And one person to start it. It only takes one spark to light a fire. Matthew 21 and 9 says, And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna literally means... Um, Save us the Savior. It means save us now. This is what they're crying out. Jesus, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And the crowd, they start acknowledging Jesus as the Savior. And this all starts with worship. It all starts with the surrender of one donkey, the laying down of a few coats. And when the disciples worship Jesus for who he is, the people start getting a revelation of who Jesus is. And that is why it is important when we come together for us to worship. That's why it's important to live a life of worship and live a life of praise because we're pointing people to who Jesus is. There's a revelation that happens when we start worshiping him. Other people start realizing, oh, there's something different here. Jesus must be something different than what I've thought. Jesus is the Messiah. How many people here that have received the Holy Ghost received it in a setting where people were worshiping freely. Right? That's how it happens. I mean, that's the easy way to make it happen. Some of us get in a row. Why do we tell people who are seeking the Holy Ghost, just worship? Just worship. Because something happens when we do. And this all starts with a guy just letting Jesus take his donkey and it grows to the disciples and now it's grown to multitudes. Don't underestimate the importance of simply just obeying Jesus. Don't underestimate the importance of simply submitting your will to his. I doubt the guy that said, yeah, take him. I doubt he thought that it was going to get this big. That they'd make a big Christian holiday about it. That we'd be still yammering on about it a couple thousand years later, talking about this guy and his donkey. Sometimes we're unwilling to step out, we're unwilling to obey and unwilling to worship because I really don't see how this is going to make a difference. I've done it before, nothing's happened. I really don't see how this is going to make a difference. I really don't see how me just raising my hand and me going to the altar or me just stepping down the aisle, I don't really see how this is going to change anything. But again, Jesus does not work the way that we think 
he should. Sometimes it just takes a little old lady stepping down the aisle and making her way down to the front. Sometimes it's a child crying out to Jesus. Sometimes it's someone who's going through something horrible in their life, battling a disease, or going through some crazy trial. They just step out in the aisle and they start praising God anyway. It, it's, always, it's not always the same. It just takes someone willing to surrender. And we think, oh, well, there's no point. It's not going to make any difference. Who really cares? Can we only worship if we know that it's going to blow up? Can we only praise if everyone else is? Because that's not worship. If you're waiting for someone else to, it's, you're missing the point. Sometimes you may be alone. I want to tell, I, I tell you every time you step out, the whole church is going to catch on fire. But half the time, we don't even want to. That's not my notes, but sometimes they will, sometimes whatever. Do it anyway. Worship him anyway. Praise him anyway, because he's worthy anyway. Even if no one else joins in. You're worshiping him, not the person across the aisle. Who cares? Sometimes you may be alone, but sometimes, my goodness, when everyone else joins in, what a time. But I'll tell you when it never happens, when no one does, when no one steps out in worship, when no one steps out in praise, when no one steps out in faith and just praises anyway, despite of what, what I'm going through in my life. And this story, in this story, it spreads like, like crazy. There's 37 when he was come nigh even now to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works they had seen. The whole multitude. And they said, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And the whole multitude begins to praise and rejoice and worship quietly. No, with a loud voice it says, For the things they had seen. And when you start, when you're struggling with praise and you're struggling with worship and just struggling to get there, start remembering all the things you've seen. Start remembering all the things that God has done. And if you can't think of anything, I don't know how you read, but I read with my eyes. And I've seen lots of things in the Bible that are worth praising Him over. If it's never happened in your life, it has happened. You can praise him anyway. You can praise him. You've never seen someone being raised from the dead, you can praise him for it because he's done it. You've never seen this happen, you can praise him for it because he's done it, whether you've seen it or not. So I guess technically I've seen the word, so you can start there. You can start with the word. No shame in that. The whole thing, it just keeps growing and growing because, again, worship is contagious. And some folks, I think they've taken the worship vaccine and they're immune to it. <laughs> but it is contagious. It will spread. One person starts and it's not long before everyone else does. It's not long until another one steps out. And soon everyone's doing it. And soon we're all in the presence of Jesus together, praising and rejoicing for all the things that we've seen. Blessed is the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But don't forget 
True praise and worship doesn't happen without someone getting upset. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. There's always a party pooper, isn't there? And if it's you, well, that's all. I'm not going to finish that. But if we need, we just need to ignore them. Because you want to know a secret? They're wrong. If you're upset because somebody's worshiping, you're wrong. If you're upset because some kid's praying and you don't like how they're doing it, they're learning and you're wrong. If you're upset because some new person comes in and they're worshiping not the way that you would, guess what? You're wrong. <laughs> worshiping Jesus is never out of order. It's always time to worship. If someone, if we're taking offering and someone wants to run the aisles, give her. Go for it. There is no time that you cannot worship him. If you want to, right now, you want to go. All right, fine. There's no, anytime, it's fine. When I came in, on my first, no, when I came into church, my first year of Bible school, a guy started coming to our church. His name was Matt. Because you might remember him. If you ever seen Matt, you don't forget him. He started coming to church and he is dancing all over the place. He struggled a lot with drugs and addiction and used to go to the club or whatever, dance all weekend long, he told me. So he said, When I come to church, I want to do it for Jesus. And you know, we got a way that people dance in church. Matt didn't know that way yet. So he's just up there like doing kind of all kinds of crazy stuff and everyone's just shaking whatever he's got. He didn't know any better. Did it look weird? Yes. Did it make people, some refined church folk uncomfortable? Also yes. But was he worshiping Jesus? Yes. I remember another lady when I was growing up. I'm not going to say her name because she's married to a pastor now, a preacher. She's a few years older than me. Same kind of story. Came into the church. She just liked the music. We had a choir. The choir was always hopping. And she started dancing. She didn't dress like a Pentecostal. She didn't dance like a Pentecostal. Some ladies got upset. Some folks were like, Pastor, you need to have a problem. You're talking with her. She never dancing like that. People are people looking. She's drawing attention. You know? She was just praising like she knew how. God worked on her, obviously. She doesn't dance that way anymore. <laughs> I think her moves have calmed down. But people were so upset. How dare she? How dare Matt dance like that? Dude, what is he doing? What is he trying to start a conga line? What's he doing here? Like, how dare he do that? That looks ridiculous. We have a dignified way of worship. And this is what the Pharisees are like. And they get so upset. They say, Jesus, you're going to have a talk with your disciple. They don't, they're not doing this the right way. Michael with David, you've got to tone it down a bit, dear. You're embarrassing me. That's not how a king's supposed to worship. 
That's not how the king's supposed to praise. The Pharisees, they thought they had a monopoly on this thing. They had a monopoly on praise. They knew how to do it. They were dignified. They were, they were refined. But when the spirit starts moving, you can't control it. Man cannot control it. Someone wants to, whatever. I'm not saying you need to get up here and dance like Matt, but I'm not going to stop him. Verse 40 says, And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones immediately would cry out. Jesus said, this thing is growing so much. And if I tell them to stop, if I tell them to stop praising, if I tell them to stop worshiping and laying down the branches and laying down their coats, and if I tell them to stop shouting and praising, the rocks themselves are going to cry out. That's how big this was getting. That's how contagious this was. It's going to spread to the stones and the rocks. Worship is contagious and worship is incredibly important. A church without worship is a dead church. Worship brings us closer to Jesus and puts the king in his place and keeps us balanced. Worship puts us where we need to be in our place, humble before him. And it all starts with one person, but it spreads across to everyone else. It all starts with one. And I've preached stuff like this before. And you've heard it before. You know it. All it takes is one person to step out. It'll spread. It'll explode. It's contagious. It will grow. But if no one does, then it won't. I mean, it would be cool if the chair started doing it. Can't imagine how we'd respond to that. Oh, Trisha, you're trying to bail me out. In John's account, um, the verse I read at the beginning, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they get upset and they say, Master, rebuke your disciples. And these guys, they Jesus says, you know, the rocks are going to cry out. And they kind of just back off to themselves and they start grumbling. As people often will. I've been at services where you go out in the foyer and there's a bunch of grumbly people out there. Remember a couple of youth conventions? Go out and everyone's complaining about how they're doing things. And they're off grumbling to themselves and they say, among themselves, perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world has gone after him. We can't do anything about this. The Pharisees are always fighting for control. When this praise and worship spread like it was, they just gave up. They said, there's nothing we can do. We've lost control. The whole world, the world has gone after him. We've lost our people. They've gone after Jesus. We've lost. Everyone has gone after him. And that is how powerful praise and worship is. It wrestles power back from institutions. They cannot control it. They cannot restrict it. You saw what happened in Kentucky a few weeks ago. Methodist University, very dignified, very structured. They surrendered to him, God, and they started worshiping. But for weeks, People came from all, they were speaking in tongues. They didn't even believe it, and they're speaking in tongues. 
They're getting baptized in Jesus' name. All kinds of things were happening. They couldn't control it. They tried and they couldn't control it. They can't restrict it. The world is going to follow something. People are going to follow something. And we have the opportunity and the ability to point them toward Jesus with our praise and our worship and how we live our lives because the world is looking for something or someone to follow. Just look at how quickly people grab onto the new movement of the day. Whatever we, whatever we need to get upset about today, we're going to latch onto this and we're going to, well, we're all for these rights right now or we're for this or we're for that. Just passionately, they throw themselves at whatever it is. They want to follow something. They want to go after something. Every couple of months, there's something new. And we have the opportunity to point them towards Jesus with our praise and with our worship. We can point them towards him, the Savior of the world who took their sins to a cross, who has the gift of salvation. And so the question today on this Palm Sunday is, are you gone? Are you gone after him? The Pharisees were upset because the whole world was pursuing Jesus. Have we had that effect on people in our lives? Are they upset with you because you're gone? I can't even talk sense to him anymore. All he cares about is Jesus. I can't talk sense to her anymore. All she wants to do is go to church. All she wants to do is pray. All she wants to do is tell me about all the things that Jesus has done. I'm sick of it. I can't control it. Are you gone after him? Are they upset because you're gone? Because everything revolves around him. They lay down their coats and their identities to praise and worship him. Are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to live a life of complete surrender and worship to Jesus? David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall sometimes be in my mouth. Occasionally, be, the praise, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Everything that comes out of my mouth is going to point to Jesus. Everything that comes out of my mouth is going to point to him. That's how I'm going to lead people to him. That's how the world's going to go after him. It starts with us pointing. What are we talking about? What's coming out of our mouth? What are we saying? His praise shall continually be in our mouth, in my mouth. We have the opportunity, we have the ability to turn the world to Him. <laughs> I had this story the other day. I was listening to missionary talk. Um, it's a missionary to the Philippines. His father one of the original missionaries. When we went there, I think there was 13 churches. There's over a million UPC members in the Philippines today. And there's a place, I think it's up north in the mountains. It's so dangerous. And you can't go there if you're not Filipino. They'll kidnap you. They'll, they'll try to get ransoms. This is what they do. That's what they're known for, this area. Kind of like a surrounding. Anyways, and so this missionary, he got invited to go. Before he would have went because he was scared, but he had some things happen. He was like, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to do whatever. Door open, I'm going to go. So he decides he's going to go to this place, extremely dangerous, um, to get there. 
He said he's going to have to drive eight hours. The first two hours he can sit up. The last six he's going to have to hide, cover with a blanket so they can't see you, just to get to this place where he's invited up in the mountains. The mountains themselves weren't dangerous, but to get there it was. contact he had and hears about his trip. He's like, if you can delay it two days, we'll fly you in with the helicopter. We'll clear all the gangsters out. We'll, we'll get you in safe. And so he does that. He gets there. He has no idea why they've invited him. He has no idea what this is all about. And so he asked them. They tell him the story. They said, 40 years ago, a missionary came through. Spent one day and preached, baptized them, went on. One day he spent there. And he said, We've been hoping and looking for a missionary to come back. We want to we show you what we've done with the gospel. We want to show you what we've done with uh, what we've received. There's a bunch of pastors there, and they're all telling this story. And they start pointing up the mountains, and they're talking, naming all the churches and all these places. And just pointing up here, up here, there's a church, up here, there's a church, there's a church here, pastor here, pastor there, whatever. And the whole area, once you get past the gangsters, the whole area, 98% been baptized in the name of Jesus and filled with the Holy Ghost. whole area went after. The whole world was gone. And he said, so much so that everyone refers to this as the Pentecostal Mountains. And so the missionary, he asked like the army guys that flew in with the helicopter, he said, what do you call this place? Oh, it's the Pentecostal Mountains. And he said, who was that missionary? He said, it was your father 40 years ago. They were so hungry for something. The whole area went after. 98, that's incredible. And that's what I long to see in our area. Maybe when we're at 98%, that's, that's incredible. But it starts when we praise, it starts when we worship, when we point people to heaven. When people to say the whole, all the Middleton's gone. The valley's gone. Don't even bother going with that other stuff. They're gone. They're after Jesus. They're gone. But it starts with us. It starts with us being willing to surrender. The guy with the donkey and those two disciples. It starts with us being willing to lay down whatever it is that we have, whatever we identify with, whatever we identify as, not caring what anybody else thinks, and pointing people to Him. I have preached an incredibly long time today. I open the whole thing. I just want this Palm Sunday. I wonder if we could just take some time. Let his praise be continually in our mouths and make up our minds. We're going to take this. 
We're going to spread this to our homes. We're going to spread this to our neighbors, our communities. We do that by laying down, by worshiping, by laying down ourselves and letting his praise continually be in our mouths. All right, I'm done. Let's praise him today. He is worthy. He is our Savior. Hallelujah. Shatai Hosoko. 